Hello and welcome to the Failure Understanding Care and Kunst podcast. You're here with me, Ruth Aitken, and me, James Stuart Lee. In today's episode, we talk to Inger Amelia Solheim. She's an artist based here in Tromsø, originally from Alta, just north of here. She's an artist, a curator, an art critic, and an all-round good guy. In the episodes, we will be talking about juggling different roles and wearing different hats. Uh, we'll talk if critics are the real artists. And we'll talk about a workshop with Thomas Hershorn. And, of course, we will talk about this podcast's main theme, failure. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. We're here today with Inge Amelia. So hi. Hi. Yes. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Yeah. We Thanks. start off. We start off the podcast actually by describing where we are physically. We can also do it emotionally if that makes sense as well. <laughs> yeah, spiritually, whatever. Right. The, right. the reason is because we did the first few podcasts in quite exciting places, and by exciting, I mean a. Uh, like next to a shopping center. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, uh, someone's studio, you know, they've just been getting we yeah. a hotel room. It's just been getting less and less glamorous. Hotel rooms, glamorous depends on which way you, like how, how good your imagination is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're very glamorous. The, or very, the, uh, the acoustics beauty. are fantastic. Yeah. They're very thick curtains. Hotel room. <laughs> There's a limit how glamorous it is. Yeah, how how is. would it you? Worse, how harsh, would you describe so. where we are now, Inge Amelia? We're in this um, rundown house, <laughs> 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 but I think the sound conditions are all right. Yeah, it's relatively warm. Yeah, there's no noisy neighbors. Well, I don't know. Depends what time they start their party upstairs. So, in case you haven't guessed, we're we're in our living room, which is well, definitely one of the least glamorous places we've done these interviews in. I would say. Well, very very charming. It's a very I charming so. place. Yeah, I mean. I'm maybe thinking, do you want to start, Inga Amelia, by maybe introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yeah. your practice? My name is Inga Amelia Solheim, and I'm, I live in Tromsø. I've been living here for a good while because I studied here at the Art Academy first. And then uh, after the VA, I just took the MA. And then I started uh, working a bit at TKF, the Art Kunstförening här. Och jag har varit doing some art, but also uh, criticism, art criticism. And that's what I'm doing. Would you 
would you describe yourself as a curator as well? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've curated. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it starts, yeah, it's it's a while ago I curated something now, so it wasn't in the front of my head. Uh, you did a project with us in 2019. Was it 2019? 2020. It was sometime. 2020. It was 2020. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that that summer. <laughs> uh, called Den Skogles Skogen. The forest. The Yeah. Which was like a solo exhibition. It was partially inside the caravan um, at Folkeparken in Thromsa and partially outside. So maybe you could like just, uh, yeah, maybe just say a little bit more about your art practice and what what uh, drives that. Yeah, in that particular project, I uh, had these uh, rules to to work uh, by, of course. So the material that I used uh, were very conscious picked out like um, I used some found materials I guess and things that I already had most most of that was probably things I already had yeah and used stuff I didn't buy anything and um, um, that was something that I kind of brought with me to this uh, project I did this year to try and and use as much uh, used material or things I already had and not buy some so much new things though that is of course very hard because you sometimes you just need a lot of one type of material I guess what, what normally drives your art practice like what are Maybe you just wanted to talk a little bit more about what your main concerns are in your own practice. Well, I guess I'm um, relatively interested in the uh, environment and the politics around that and just trying to comment on that. Um, environment is uh, just, it's a part of society, but it, just as politics in in general, like um, state leaders, I, I earlier made this kind of Trump uh, criticism uh, where I, uh, there were two works, one with like his hand in clay uh, laying on top of this little ornate pillow of velvet cushion. And yeah, that was as a student. And then this, these suites that were uh, made to uh, to reflect these uh, six or was it seven? Uh, six. It was six different countries that were banned from entering the U.S. The the immigrant ban that he um, oh, I'm lost for words. 
that he imposed, imposed. Or he yeah. signed, I suppose. At the time, yeah. So what I um, experienced with these type of works is that they kind of get uh, old, like they have this best before date, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because they comment on, on specific situations. Yeah. But uh, I must say, I like that kind of art very much. If I see an art, an artwork that comments on <clears throat> the today's political the thing I read about in newspaper now, then I like that work quite a lot. I, I, it, I'm a little bit bored by works that are too general about like environment of like pollution for example it can it could have been made in the 60s i don't know by the 1800s yeah. 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 but yeah but maybe also actually i was just thinking about the the work about trump's ban that's maybe like the perfect work to have made like that because it was candy so it has a like you eat it <laughs> right like it ate a its temporality was sort of built into both the politics and the material and the experience of it was very much about like uh, that moment. Yeah, that work didn't last so long because the candy, they, they got old or eaten, but it ended up, it ended up uh, me having too much candy like laying around and they fused themselves to each other like they had, I just yeah. had a large lump <laughs> a box a car cardboard box with a large bunch of, of uh, yeah and, and I, I chopped it up sometimes I was like uh, oh, I need something sweet and I went down to my um, um, cellar uh, <laughs> I'm just like, don't I have something here, don't I? Then <laughs> I found this, yeah, large lump, and I had to hack up. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. I could like break them off, I guess. I love that though. Is that not? I feel like there's an animal. Oh no, it's maybe birds, and it's fat balls rather than sugar balls. But where you like to hang, and they just like nibble <laughs> the fat ball. <laughs> there's something really nice with having like a yeah everlasting gobstopper. Like, yeah, like it's sort of hanging from the ceiling that you can just be like. <laughs> wow, that's a great idea for an artwork. Actually, like yeah, we are birds, and there's this large. <laughs> gobstopper that looks like these kind of seed balls <laughs> <laughs> in this netting yeah yeah I mean maybe you can also t talk to us a little bit about how all these different as you would say I suppose both in English and Norwegian how these different hats come together you know curator, writer, artist how you how you approach things and if you actually feel that they are all part of one and the same mission, if you will, or whether you feel they're very different things that you do that don't really have any connection to each other. Um, they, I guess they didn't in the start. Um, or 
I mean, the first thing I curated was a group show where I was uh, one of the artists, uh, which so was that's always a good idea. Yeah, never <laughs> get a cut of that artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, in in a way, I got an artist fee, but I didn't get the curator fee because <laughs> I was too like shy, I guess, to to budget for that. Uh, but uh, in a way, I was also too shy to call myself a curator because that was it's kind of a long time ago. I was like just thinking of me as one of the group members. And uh, later, I when I look back, I see that, okay, but I did the curatorial work. And even though I tried to get the others to take some of the burn down, then it just... It wasn't so easy. <laughs> <laughs> they refused to take the, the burden. <laughs> no, I guess I was in a way in control and um, we weren't close enough to share uh, I mean, we, we tried, we, we tried yeah. to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do think it can be really complicated, actually, if you don't have a template for it to try, and everyone is inexperienced in sort of that production mm. curatorial role, to try to do it together or to share those tasks can be really complicated. That sometimes does become easier just to be like, I guess I, I guess I, I just do it, or one person just does it. Yeah, often it really is easier if you just do things yourself you know um but it puts a lot of strain on you and i suppose your story is maybe quite similar to how a lot of people get into curation that they start they basically are an artist who are trying to find ways to exhibit yeah exhibit their work and exhibit their friends and yeah i suppose celebrate the work of themselves and their friends at the same time yeah tell me a little bit more about your process with curation and what what you learn from it and what you what you're taking from it. Um, actually, it's very it's very interesting uh, because um, when you start working with something and then you in the start it's always like you try to copy what others have done and then you you might not see the um, um the potential for creativity there you might just think that yeah i'm just gonna uh, i'm just kind of more like um people a person doing the paperwork like the planning um and scheduling these events or whatever um well, of course, there is potential, of course, being creative, but not in a, in this very uh, experimental way. And then, after uh, some years, then I've, I've started like reading a bit of uh, Hans Ulrich Obrist, by the way, and other interesting. Uh, examples of curating and then you realize that yeah curating is 
more. It's so much more. So much more than just doing the paperwork. So much more, yeah. It's it's uh, you can be as creative as a curator, as an artist almost, I guess. I have one just quick follow up, and that was, I suppose, because we've touched on curation and we've touched on your art practice, but maybe you want to talk a little bit about your work as a critic or criticism and then mm. maybe oh this is what my question was oh, about okay. as well yeah okay and then maybe we we can reflect together if you would like about how all these things come together these different hats you have we can speculate <laughs> how they affect one another yeah when it comes to wearing different hats it's actually very me to to jump from uh, I'm not. I'm not so fan of just doing one thing for a long while. I get tired or bored. Yeah, I need some change. So that's it's perfect to do these uh, short uh, assignments where you write something, a review. And that's actually I. I love that. It could be even shorter deadlines. But then the quality would, would, of course, reflect that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I was going to um, say something uh, earlier about because you asked how these things fused in together with themselves, uh, and recently I found that or um, read also read something interesting. Um, that Adam Phillips said actually about being creative as a critic. Uh, it was uh, very interesting. <laughs> he was actually arguing that the critic is even maybe even more <laughs> creative than the artist. Yeah, it sounds very weird. <laughs> no, but I think it's or like I think that I've not read this, but it's it places the viewer or the audience as maybe being the integral aspect of art making which i think is really interesting or i really like that as an approach that it the art happens in the person meeting the artwork not necessarily an artist producing the artwork in this world i think he puts a lot of weight on what's hap what's happening in the mind of the viewer and the critic and how the critic is because he mentions that the critic are maybe researching the artwork uh, even more than the artists themselves, themselves, like the material and maybe the theme and content. But you know, we know all know that that's not entirely correct. That that's a little. Um, um, it's a little bad to say that because then the artist is like. Uh, lesser <laughs> <laughs> yeah. than the, the critic. The criticism couldn't happen without the art. Although it would be a really interesting experiment, I suppose, to completely make up an exhibition and then do a review of a completely made-up exhibition. <laughs> That'd be very good. Yeah, it's a way to put critic into the art world. It's very interesting. I'm mm. really, really interested in that thought this, mm. at the time. Mm. Yeah. But do you find it's like a, because I think being a critic 
is a very challenging I mean maybe very good as an artist to to be in that position and have to go through that process of thinking about an artwork and how it works and how it doesn't work or an exhibition you know what's functioning and what's not functioning um so in one way I think it's probably a very good exercise as an artist but I'm always very f do you find it difficult to review other people's work honestly as an artist do you have like a a fear of offending someone you mean or a fear yeah, of yeah or a fear of being what is the fear yeah i don't know uh of being rude yeah yeah i mean also like you're within an industry with people and if you piss someone off that's your career over like like it's just such yeah. a complicated uh vulnerable or like fragile relationship yeah yeah but then i um um comfort myself with the thought that there people don't really read <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's really scary to be critical. To to be critical, if you want to be very, yeah, very critical, then it's very, it's very, it's scary because, uh, uh, and also it's scary to to be too nice <laughs> because then you could also be criticized to be for being too nice and. Uh, to be honest, that's uh, also it's it's also very very boring to read sometimes. What? what sorry, carry on. Yeah, I always thought that it's very fun to read um, uh, slaughtering <laughs> of art, but it it should be intelligent slaughtering. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, one of the most frustrating things in the world, maybe it's changed uh, recently, but certainly 10 years ago, reading the reviews in the back of Art Review, for example, I mean, it was it's a, almost impossible task because it, they just could not give out any negative reviews. It was just this endless stream of descriptions of exhibitions. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's completely pointless and meaningless, yeah. and it just serves as... Well, yeah. adverts, and it feels like that the, it's the same person, or it's person dependent, because you maybe get sometimes you read uh, texts by the same person, and you kind of know that ah, oh, this person is always too positive. This person loves everything, and it's clearly not very interesting. But this person is just adores this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is because uh, I don't know. Like having like just a well-described exhibition review, it's maybe not going to tell you so much about whether it's good or bad. But if it's well-described, it allows you to maybe experience an exhibition at a distance. You're never going to be able to experience it fully, but you can maybe like I'm not in France, I'm not in Germany, I'm not going to see these exhibitions. So it's nice that you can maybe have a little vicarious experience of it. But um, I definitely think even also for artists, it's 
useful to get you know i mean it's preferable to get good honest critique before you open your exhibition so you can do something about it but it is useful to have like some honest responses to what is working in your art and what isn't working uh, uh, saying uh, that oh having getting a horrible review have you had people you either thank you because of something you've written or maybe give you dirty looks at an opening because <laughs> you've said something well i haven't i haven't written uh, i haven't written anything like before the opening so that uh, the opening is affected i haven't uh, i've just come as a guest and reviewed something that's already there already opened um but um uh, yeah i had someone coming to me thanking me or um, messaging me i mean a couple of times but yeah i haven't got any uh, like bad feedback ex except from uh, you james <laughs> You were very critical to my review of Leaf this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is the approach to criticism you have? Because I know that a lot of people have different, what you would say in French, raison d'être to why one would do criticism. So, for example, you can maybe think of criticism in its classic mode as recommendation, basically. You should go see this exhibition. You should pay some money. To, you know, there's another idea of criticism as something about. Well, there's maybe as many ideas of criticism as there as you, this guy you're talking about, this creative thing. There's also something about criticism as wanting to help an artist, like push forward to almost be like a, 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 to make the artist better. It's also maybe there's an idea of uh, on the side of production that you're trying to create. Uh, uh, maybe Cl Clement Greenberg is the is the you know the idea here. Uh, this idea of the of the art dealer to critic as well. The idea that the art dealer transitions over to being a critic to try and uh, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering, how do you approach that, Inge Amelia? And do you think one approach? Is more prone to failure than another. <laughs> like what? 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 What kind of headspace are you in when you're writing your your criticism, and or what you're maybe thinking you you're achieving? Well, I recently read this uh, collection of uh, Tommy Olson critics. I don't know if you read his texts, but because they are in Norwegian, of course. I've read one or two, but not like a. Yeah, so there is this book um, at the library with a collection, and I think the newest is from 2014, and the oldest from the start of the this century. And um, uh, so he writes uh, very, um, of course, self-absorbed, um, but very. Uh, uh, like a, what do you call it, Ly lyrical, or more like, he, he just, he goes, goes on, you know, with his thoughts and his uh, associations. It's, sometimes it's, it's more of a, um, uh, 
Kosseri. It's called Kosseri. It's a genre. Maybe you could look it up what's it, what it's called. Okay. Bullshit. It, it translated yeah. it to bullshit. That's okay. weird. Let's see. I think maybe Kosseri is maybe not. It's not on point. Maybe it's more like an essay yeah. form yeah. that he he writes in. Um, but uh, I guess the Kosseri is more. It's more like humoristic, I suppose, and putting things on on the tip, mm. or like uh, having. I guess a Kosseri has some kind of a. It's more like a speech, I guess. But but it's very what uh, what he writes is is very oral, or I mean, you can follow his thoughts and clearly inspired maybe by Dostoevsky, I think I read that somewhere that he was, uh, who is a great writer, really, uh, who, uh, who I love reading. Yeah. We've been getting really good at doing podcast interviews, right? And what I've noticed, Ruth, <laughs> is that we're, we're quite good at weaving the theme throughout, especially in the start of the theme of failure. Uh, however, in this podcast, we've completely failed to do so. Uh, <laughs> no, it's more that we're just not very good. I mean, uh, we, with the podcast, I, I think our conversation has started very, very nicely and very naturally. Mm. But ne- maybe now we take the hard swerve. Mm. to get onto the thematics and we maybe switch to speaking a little bit about failure uh, with you good if you wanted to give us basically what your definition of, of failure is and I suppose how you feel about failure and what your relationship to the concept of failure is. Those are three questions I think. Yeah, I guess I uh, checked out the definition beforehand and it's kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, and I guess I think that the uh, the definition that um, I thought was most relevant was the lack of success for a project, an exhibition. Uh, yeah. And then you can say uh, that there is a personal way to look at failure also. Maybe it's like you feel like a failure, not connected to external factors. Um, when it comes to art, I. Uh, guess um, I learned a lot about failure 
uh, during this workshop we had. Uh, there's this uh, artist, this Danish uh, woman who came to uh, the academy here in Tromsø. The artist Inge Emilie is referring to is Kirsten Astrup. And she had this workshop and she showed uh, also her works. I don't know, uh, Ruth, if you saw the artist talk she had, but um, she kind of like she planned her works to fail in a way. Not um, not that they did or not that she planned them, that she wanted them to fail, but she made them so hard for her to do that they were very um, demanding of her, like almost impossible. She, she was... Um, um, so she's a good example. <laughs> and I learned to also this other artist that came to, to visit to Tromsø, like Thomas Hirschon. He was also very concerned with the pre precariousness of the artwork and the art that it shouldn't be too safe. And that was also a good uh, view that I uh, brought with me. But um, I want to just mention Kirsten Astrup because she was, she made this, she, she came to uh, a place, I think it was in Oslo, I'm not sure. And then her plan was to make a cabaret and she had just the things that she brought with her. And she had to make, she had just a week or something like that. And she had to make this cabaret. <laughs> so she had to play all these different roles. And she had put like rules for herself that she, all the characters she was playing in the cabaret, she, they were to speak different languages. So she was like, she was not a very good French speaker, but she could like some basics. And she was not a very good um, keyboard player, but she could like some mm. basics. And she couldn't play. There was, I think she had three or four different instruments and mm. lots of different costumes. And um, yeah, she just set her up, herself up to a really difficult task <laughs> <laughs> very precarious yeah but I mean she did produce a film at the end of it it was like a well yeah. the thing is that she did, kind of didn't fail but mm. there is this um, the, the whole uh, idea is uh, or the notion that this is like just balancing mm. on the edge of failure yeah. is it's kind of um baked into the work like walking up to the line of failure and stopping just before is the <laughs> yeah I mean the she, she would have to probably she had more confidence than I thought or maybe she maybe she had a lot of confidence that she knew that this was going to go relatively well but also maybe people that watched it thought that okay, this does this sound doesn't really sound so good. So this is a failure. I don't know. Oh me. Um, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the workshop with Thomas Hirschhorn because that's my favorite topic. Thomas Hirschhorn, 
I genuinely, I really like him. Footnote number uh, two. A lot of students. In 2017, the artist Thomas Hirschhorn was invited by Koro, that is Kunst e Offendly Room, which translates as Art and Public Space, who are Norway's public art commission, to come to Tromso to lead a workshop at the Tromso Academy of Art. The students, as part of this workshop, were invited to make a work of art each to be displayed. Uh, and obviously a lot of public. students who were part of that workshop were quite critical of it, but a lot of people loved it at the same time. I just want, I just wondered if you want to talk a little bit about how his metric uh, and the way he approached things, this idea of, say, like, for example, uh, quality, no. Energy, yes. This idea of setting up a schema, for example, uh, uh, a formula almost of what is acceptable or, or what, what what one should be looking out for uh, like how how did how does that or how did that sort of maybe impact your art making or thinking about things that philosophy um, I do understand that it's um, a critic critic worthy to 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 put up this dogmatic rules like he did and it really made us uh, discuss he ha he also put up a rule that everyone have to like say something come with some kind of feedback everyone have to talk and um, made some good argument for us to do so and created this kind of um, group um, feeling, but then he kind of blew it all in the end because suddenly um, suddenly this this way the way he um, recorded stuff and documented stuff was like not very thought through. It was really uh, bad. And uh, so that's why when I think back what I learned, I, I learned quite a lot and I was very, uh, I liked his, the way he taught about art. I know a lot of people were not, did not agree with him, but I agreed with him quite a lot. So for me, that was very good. But, uh, um, and, uh, but uh, the way he documented it was really shitty. Like he didn't really think it through. He didn't know anything about the media that he that he just decided to use. It was just horrible. And it's like there on Instagram. And I tried to like uh, ask the the account to like remove the videos of me there, for example. But they don't answer because no one is. It's just a ghost account right now. No one is logging into that. Was the project a failure? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there was some failure there. Yeah, but they couldn't say that it was a total failure. There's something interesting, like that, baked into, or like a 
I'm very hesitant to use failure as a word because it's a, it's so contested, maybe. But I think within like these platforms that there is something so baked in, or like a baked in failure, in that you have, um, yeah, like so many accounts like this that are ghost accounts started and abandoned, or that no one's operating them, no one has responsibility for them, no one has ownership over them, and no one can take get rid of them. He has ownership. He has the ownership. Actually, yeah, because he argued that this was his work of art, actually. And maybe part of the payment for those that involved in the workshop was that they maybe waived rights to be documented or something like that. Perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that was actually a very big uh, issue because he didn't say uh, what it entailed. He said that they were, um, no, they were communicating really badly to us about that. But yeah, I, I feel that I get angry just by thinking about it because he, he was communicating through this um, contact person, like, and this contact person, the professor, just told us that yeah there would be maybe a few pictures of each of our works and that was what he told us and that uh, was a lie or it wasn't true I, he probably said that because he thought that was the, but um, that was not true and uh, it was sad that that uh, nothing was done uh, about it. And the reason why, no why nothing was done about it, or partly the reason, was that we all got quite a lot of money and no one wanted to protest in the start because they were like afraid of maybe being kicked out or losing the money. It was quite a lot for a student. The, the silly thing is that it's still there like on the on Instagram and everyone is tagged there with their names and if you like all, all the people that were like students then they are the works they did in that workshop they are not even their real like works that they would like um, promote I think it's uh, interesting for work that was so much about challenging or reclaiming the public space, but also thinking about the temporal qualities of what it means to put an artwork out into the world and how long it should last, the lifespan of the work. Like, I think that was one of the rules, right? Was one about how it thinks about time. And then to have <laughs> that documentation to be both completely out of the hands of the artists or those depicted and the artworks depicted, but also to be in this space that is completely uh, infinite in some in, in a temporal sense. I was just going to say, I was going to come in with a completely different perspective on this because of course I was in Scotland at the time, but I was following this workshop through Instagram. Mm -hmm. So this very strange experience of all these people, uh, of being introduced to all these people. So before I moved to Tromso, I knew all these people and had a, had a, I was like, oh, that's that person that did that thing. Oh yeah, what she said was really smart. Oh yeah, I really liked what he, why, what he did there, you know? And you had this idea <laughs> and this impression of people from this, this video and 
of course, I'd you know forgotten all their names, and often I'd they looked you know it was maybe only when I went back that I realised to the Instagram I was like oh no it was that person no it wasn't that person no who was that again you know so I think it was really fascinating for me to follow it was really interesting yeah yeah and you could like follow every day quite uh, for hours every day I think yeah the yeah it was really. Um, not communicated well to us that what was going to happen about that and I, I was not aware of that and now. So that project in many ways was a failure but maybe in Gamelia you want to talk to us about a time an art project failed in your eyes or about a time an artwork failed in your eyes. As in her own? Well her I mean art, I'd be like quite interested uh, that I'd be quite interested in both, actually. If there's an art project that you think failed, uh, that you've seen that's not yours, and maybe why it failed, or you can talk about something that you did that failed. I think that'd be a really interesting jumping-off point. Yeah, I I feel that uh, the work that I did for my MA graduation was a failure. Um, I um, in a way it was interesting and it was. Uh, I like the fact that I, uh, what do you call it, set it up to be very hard and set it up to be like a little impossible in a way, or as at least hard to um, get as an artwork. Like, but I, I had a lot of thoughts behind it, and I realized. When I worked with it, that I um, it demanded a little more documentation through the the process because it was kind of a process work that you c and uh, but I uh, chickened out with um, um, with. Um, communicating that you should follow this blog because that was actually a big part of the work it was that you could follow the process and I p made it as a blog um, and you could follow the process from me now I have <laughs> for the listeners I haven't <laughs> like explained anything what this is about <laughs> like the earlier works as well I didn't explain anything <laughs> almost uh, like uh, I uh, set up this healing booth in um, in the exhibition, and um, uh, you could um, go into this website and um, schedule a healing, and uh, then you could come to see me in this healing little healing room and get healing from me as a healer and uh, for you to understand what was going on there was this uh, storyline on the website where I set out to become a healer and learn about healing and then I documented and wrote down like thoughts like a diary of how I um, partook in this um, workshop and uh, there I met with a healer and 
tried to talk to him a little bit about this, like interviewing him, interviewing him with, um, and I got some healing from him and, um, uh, uh, yeah, and the, the, it was actually a very interesting, this workshop that I went to, they, they were like fulfilling your wishes. You came there with some kind of some wish and we were trying to fulfill the wishes. And now my wish was like to become a healer. And I like, like told this to all of the people there. It was like a large group of, I think 20 people or something like that. Mm. And we did this uh, performance at the end of the workshop, like, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> it was really embarrassing. Uh, and I feel that the failure was uh, how I presented myself in the space. Mm. What kind of um, space I created f to do this. I didn't work enough with it. I didn't use a lot of time to find out what materials. I had a I uh, stressed in the end to to be uh, done with it. So that's a failure for me. I would have I wished that I had been more energetic uh, working with this. And also, I I didn't feel like I got enough help from my professors. Mm. They were just like clapping my shoulders saying that yeah yeah great great mm. you know um they weren't um but it's uh, in a way it's my uh, fault also because this was a new medium that i didn't had hadn't worked with such an artwork before where you were having to um to convey the whole process to document it in a good way to find out how to to submit also like or yeah to uh, to tell people of uh, yeah follow this now i have updated yeah follow this and i should have like used social media a lot i think it's it's so interesting because from my side or from the outside of having experienced that exhibition I did not read that work as being a failure at all. It came to me as being, uh, yeah, just like a very interesting, uh, just a super, super interesting work. And to think of art as a, or like a healing as a creative act and an act of compassion. And also in maybe thinking about failure specifically, like the taking somebody's failure and he like healing being in relation to failure, but that is not, the work itself. That's just me now thinking within it, the theme that we're talking about. But uh, I didn't know anything about this process. So there's there's some, something interesting. We talked with um, someone else about this as well, about that failure of uh, how we f see something as being a failure. Or it's a failure for the artist, but for the audience, the work itself works. It's just a different artwork to the one that the artist maybe wanted to make. So there's maybe simultaneously a failure and a success in that uh, setting or in that yeah, yeah. collision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a friend who said that this it was a very interesting, good artwork 
as well and so but um so i don't i don't feel that and <laughs> i don't feel that i really failed so much because the the while it was going on like the healing the weeks when during the opening hours i received like these people uh and we had some very nice experiences uh, I had previously read uh, some text about art and what art could be and what was like uh, the most interesting way to explore or expand what art could be. And that affected me um, a lot. It was just a little silly text called The Philosophy of Art, I think, um, by this Norwegian philosopher. Anyway... Um, he wrote that yeah what art has like it has gone through all these stages like and everything can be art now and now and you just take it put it into this gallery but maybe maybe art um to to expand the definition of what art could be maybe you could just like um pretend you are not or like yeah, take the role of a no, not an artist because the you have this notion that if you're an artist then everything you do can be art but what if I present myself as not an artist like uh, a healer instead mm. so that was the idea behind me uh, taking the role of, an, of a healer and everyone who came there I told them that I, I'm not I'm 100% serious. I'm a healer in this relation. This is not a like a some silly thing. I think, but I think that's why it's a uh, or for, yeah, again from my perspective, why it seemed to work was it the that sincerity or commitment to uh, to the people that were coming in. Also, I really failed on following following up this blog because I like wrote also on the, this blog or this text that I was uh, going to like um, write down the experiences from each like meeting, each like session, and I was uh, just the same kind of laziness, I guess, that made me. Um, that made me procrastinate to set up the show it was probably the same kind of laziness <laughs> or or maybe the, the air was out of the balloon I didn't follow up with, with writing down all the experiences on the blog and like because yeah. I, I thought also that people could follow mm. and read about oh yeah that happened and mm. and oh she felt like that and and this was interesting and because mm. there was interesting things yeah. happening my experience of it w was that i failed in uh, being a for like yeah. Yeah. yeah as a mediator of it i i should have used i should have used more time finding a platform that I was much more aligned with or 
that felt better or I don't know. Yeah, maybe sending out newsletters on email instead, having this mailing list instead or something like that. I mean, the, did I don't it, know. do you think it worked as art? I mean, that idea of broadening the that going back to that essay you began with the philosophy of art about taking on the persona or doing something not art. Do you think yeah, no. what you did worked as art? Well, in uh, going back to this essay or this book, uh, then I, I should actually have done the work outside of the institution in a way. So it was a, so it was a little bit of a failure in that regard because mm -hmm. you should have done it yeah, outside. Or uh, the first step was maybe to do it inside. But then the second step would be maybe doing it outside. But then, then the question arises, like, and, and some people actually problemize that, like, yeah, but it, it's just healing. Is it art? Like, was it's what's the art in this? I think we had that discussion when we had a group writ later. That's really fascinating that people care about that. I don't know. They're like, but is it art? I don't know. It's very fascinating. Anyway. But maybe it's an easy question to ask if you are a student in a group. Maybe it's very, like, nærliggende. Uh, yeah, low-lying low fruit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah the, the easily graspable. Yeah, yeah I think, cause, because, yeah, my experience of, of art school is that, and even being in this art milieu, is that that question is such a, yeah, that you just kind of accept whatever, you know? Yeah. It's not, you don't even, uh, I'm just thinking of this weekend, like, uh, somebody was running a bar, and they made these cocktails, and whether that was art or not didn't really matter. Like I don't know, I don't, I don't. It, it didn't really matter if it was or something, <laughs> you know. Like is serving cocktails art or is it not? Yeah, who, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really inspired by artwork that are not presenting itself as art. Like, um, like my professor then, Marcus. He Footnote three. They were Here we're referring to Marcus Dagerman and the collective he was a part of, Ugly Cute. They were uh, in his art practice before he worked as a professor. They were like making this kind of more like um, interior for shows, for festivals and but it was art because they were artists so they but they asked specifically like yeah we don't need to have this square where we exhibit things we just want to maybe make a nook for reading or this entrance area or so they kind of made art by being like in connection to the space instead of presenting it as an artwork i uh I get the old-fashionedness of the question, and I also think like it's um, ultimately unimportant. But I still think I still actually really enjoy having the "is it art or why is it art?" question because I think it is. Uh, I think it's always I interesting someone... to like try to tune your mind. Like, why is healing arts? And I, I know exactly yeah. why I think it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I or, like, think to it's... tune your philosophy of. Uh, 
yeah how you relate I mean, maybe to you just have to, it's a question you have to come back to every five years yeah i think you so know, you've grown a little bit that we forgot to like um oh, like loads yeah. i mean you know the idea about um what productive failures can a curator have yeah are there good failures bad failures or the different types of failures um uh and and it's also good to talk about maybe more recent projects that you've 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 been a part of and maybe being like how, how being a critic or a writer shapes your art well, can do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about some more recent projects you've been doing in Gamelia? In the, the summer, I made some sculptures uh, on Iceland, um, and um, I worked with um, uh, used or reclaimed uh, materials, uh, not hundred percent, because that was. I guess I could have stretched myself to do that, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, I worked with these uh, geometrical shapes and set up these kind of shapes um, in nature. And um, we made some incense made of a plant that worked, that grows in Finnmark, the Finnmark's posh, uh, and it's a very fragrant like um, uh, plant. It's in the same family as this large bush that you usually have in gardens. Um, it's it's a kind of a rhododendron, but it's in the wild and it's um, a low. It's not like a large, gigantic uh, garden bush. And it smells quite a lot, uh, and it's very beautiful. And if you touch the leaves on it, it's very oily. And then we we made this uh, incense of that. Um, I worked with a friend, uh, Yvonne Normanset, uh, who is also from Alta, where I'm from. So uh, these sculptures functioned as uh, incense burners with a small like a bowl and um, we use this um, th in in Japan they use some thing called maca powder to burn incense with but we use some ash that we made and try to like um, communicate with the wind oh. through this incense uh, thinking of uh, the technology, technology cloud seeding, which is a technology where you like spread micro particles up into the air. So th this was like a 
type of uh, cloud seeding device. And um, I really, really, really enjoyed putting them up in nature and seeing them in this uh, nature space um, as a very liberating space to work in and in comparison to like inside and in a room in a house. So um, uh, that was really um, inspiring to further work. Yeah. And also I really appreciated putting stuff up in the Folkeparken when I had this exhibition with you. And, uh, the the greenery and everything around is is a nice uh, surrounding. Yeah, it's a very different context to work in, uh, or just leaving that sort of interior space. You think opens up, opens up a lot and it shuts down a lot. But uh, it's of course it's of course it's not new to work outside. <laughs> it's no, uh, it been done. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Uh, so it's not new, but it's um, in a way I'm thinking of, yeah, we need to um, not be stuck in this kind of cube-like thinking. Either it's a black or a white or a pink or a green cube. Because <laughs> I feel that people are like taking, uh, distancing themselves or curator distancing themselves from the white cube by, by painting it like the ceiling and floor and everything. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like cheap trick number 732 paint the wall, paint one wall pink <laughs> to avoid being in a white cube. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's of course, it's easy for museums to do that. It's an easy way. And, and you don't need to, like, also, of course, it's a big industry to build new, uh, like, walls and build everything new for each exhibition. There, there's a lot of, uh, like, material mm. use and waste. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, there's a problem problems with uh, exhibiting stuff outside as well, because you will make some kind of footprint if you have a lot of visitors and they would just uh, make a mess of the mud or the lawn or whatever it will tread everywhere and it's like a festival yeah yeah it can know. do quite a lot of damage but these works you made in iceland they were a failure or a success in your opinion huh. i mean i was i mean the question i was wanting to 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 just ask is like how being a critic or a writer shapes your art making and thinking about uh, thinking about how how you you navigate being those two things if that makes sense like is it is it tricky feeling like do you mean if i get very critical to my own works or? maybe like it gets frustrating or something like that or it's maybe changed the way you approach making art or does it become more intellectualized for example or Mm. Or there's more art historical references, I don't know. Hmm. I guess my process when writing has been that I do more research than than I've ever done as as an artist in my artworks. And I've learned from that. But this has happened um parallel to 
um, to to uh, getting to know uh, my uh, now boyfriend who like is very good at research. So if I weren't a critic, I would um, have um, learned stuff from him anyways. But um, uh, I haven't become more critical to my own works. Um, I have actually been more become more uh, open, but not more productive. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm more <laughs> open and accepting to to my own works or my own ideas. I feel I have more ideas. Uh, my brain works better when writing. But I'm not very, I'm not known to be very critical to my, to, to my own ideas. Uh, at least not in the start. <laughs> I may be more like too optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably very healthy. To like leave artwork uh, room to to progress itself. Yeah, and I think one can always paralyze themselves in their own and worrying about what people will think. It can become paralyzing, right? That you 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 just yeah you can't make anything, or you're trying to cover all the critiques. Yeah, because I think art making definitely does come from a very different place from criticism. But you still need a lot of the same skills in the end. Like you should have a lot of the same skills in the end. Like a good artist and a good critic should have similar skills, in my opinion, in the sense of being able to evaluate and understand what their work does and what it's doing, both in space and time and in context, physical and temporal contexts. Huh. Yeah, I would say as a... Um, kind of a good advice that if you have researched a bit then you are so much more further than uh, a lot of people and if you have a conscious relationship to the material you use you are you have another step um, forward again so if you have both those both those things uh, then you are quite safe <laughs> it's it's not so hard because there are quite a lot of artists that are very um that that don't really think so much um about those things like the uh the material for example the materiality there are quite a lot of examples and of course there are quite a lot of examples of of, of of genius artworks that really works, but there's always something you can criticize with even big artists. It takes pressure off, doesn't it? <laughs> or like maybe the more that you are like, uh, or we've talked about this before that, uh, I think the older we both get, the more generous we are to other arts, artists or artworks when you go and see them or see an exhibition that it like the more you know the more open you are to both your own failings and to other like the the more i'm just glad yeah. that someone's made an effort and maybe that i can <laughs> also be glad in my own effort yeah. i mean i i am now much kinder to artists i still think that i can 
look at exhibitions and and not like the artwork but often when i'm getting annoyed at the artwork it's because i feel the curation has failed hmm. i think that's that's very fascinating I guess as we, I get older, I'm much kinder to artists and much meaner to curators. <laughs> yeah, I feel that it's very easy to be very mean to the curation. I don't know why I'm suddenly at the stage where often the, the, the exhibition and the context, mainly because when you see an exhibition at the end, like whenever a finished piece of, like a, what's the best way to put it? When you see, when you see a finished exhibition at the end, uh, often now I assess art, art in terms of the context I'm seeing it in, not just the artwork itself. And I still think, to me, it's a bit like in music when you have the single versus the the album. It's the idea of the artwork and the exhibition that it's in. And I'm, you know, maybe I've just become a little bit more pretentious or something like that. But I I like the idea of the exhibition as an artwork or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a very crass, crude metaphor, right? But the idea of the exhibition as a space and the exhibition as a thing in itself that can be judged if curation is this thing that is now taken on this much more serious. Yeah, uh, I agree. Especially with Leaf, where they have hired like these curators who have been working for two years or three years, I don't know how long, with the project. Um, but there are, of course, like Nunerskin, which is like just a bunch of of art placed together in a room. Which I am like going to write a review of soon, uh, where I have no idea how to. <laughs> this is a bunch of art in a room. <laughs> Like I think a perfectly grand curatorial strategy if you're very upfront about <laughs> it. No, but it it lacks curation because the curators are actually the jurors. I mean the judges who picks out. That's that those are kind of the curators, but they are not there to to curate. They're there to just pick out the um, the best art. Yeah, and I, I think as well. Um, I mean, we know, I mean, we all know that like artists can be a fucking nightmare, right? And especially if you're working with them as curators, uh, it's really difficult as well because a lot of the decisions that you see in an exhibition, although I might say, oh, this is badly curated, it's not necessarily the curator's fault. Like often they've just lost an argument with the artist or or the artist, yeah. you know. Or with the uh, institution. Yeah, or there's yeah, yeah. just like a confluence yeah, of and it's, events uh, so yeah. I'm probably being really mean to a lot of curators when fundamentally a lot of the biggest decisions and exhibitions are made. I know by the no process. <laughs> well, by no one, they just happen. They just, yeah, often they just happen. You know, the technician was left alone for five minutes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's why the cabling was done like that you know <laughs> no i maybe will wrap up if that's fine with a final question just uh what are you working on now well, or what's got coming up well um I made this uh, collaborative work actually with my boyfriend uh, uh, 
but I'm uh, yeah. So we'll see if uh, we're where we are exhibiting that. So it's a uh, sound work. Um, other than that, I have just ideas for the moment, actually. Uh, yeah, the cooperative work with uh, with Tom, um, and I I think it's nice to cooperate with someone. And we made the sound work, so it's easy to like send places. You can just send a link to some to some um, SoundCloud. So that was very interesting. So I just made um, the concept, and he kind of just produced it. Or yeah, I guess I I did some recordings. So it was very much related to just the. Uh, the wind when uh, the Vikings crossed uh, from Norway to Iceland. So the amount of wind was uh, controlling the different wind. Um, the percentage of the different winds were controlling the work. Like it was randomized by how much wind from the north or still or from the west and blah blah blah. Mm. So there was nine different types of winds and um, we found this uh, table where uh, which said that's okay there was so much percentage of north wind uh, in July at the time like this and this year where the <laughs> like I guess it was a guesstimate in yeah, a way. Like when the Vikings were when the Vikings yeah. were crossing and they took like seven days, so we made the work like seventy minutes. So I was kind of more like making the concept and then he kind of produced it based on my recordings of wind from Iceland. Yeah, okay. Ah. So it was more of a conceptual thing and then he made it very pretty, like to listen to. <laughs> so that was his kind of yeah, contribute. Yeah. Like he, he's he works with, uh, I guess Ableton. So it's nice to to actually <laughs> to have someone with some different uh, skills to help. So it would be very cool to to. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of dragging him into the art world. He's <laughs> he's not educated as an artist. But he's has some some other qualifications i feel every everyone in the art world should have it as a task to drag someone into the art world <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's interesting in in that like a ponzi scheme like a yeah ponzi scheme, exactly <laughs> really <laughs> somebody to come in and buy the, <laughs> the yeah. mlm yeah well that's a very scary though, to drag someone else in because what if they get a lot of recognition <laughs> that would be super awkward <laughs> I was just thinking, like, what if I'm then responsible them for them, like, becoming addicted to the art world and losing their, yeah, the Ponzi scheme version of the art world. Yeah, there's only there's only so many exhibition spaces, you know. There's only so many open calls in the well, world. I mean, we've already all all of us have given up our lives, our money, our yeah. <laughs> yeah. sanity to art. Yeah. You bring bringing new people I into it. I don't want it, no so. more competition. <laughs> Was this interview a failure? Or do you think it was a success? Uh, I enjoyed myself, uh, but 
I, I'm sure I would if even if we had forgotten to press record. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by us, us. Ruth Aitken and James Lee. Together we are fuck. This podcast was funded by Kulturrådet, the Norwegian Arts Council. We'd like to say thank you to Inge Emilia for the lovely conversation and also to Nicholas Horner and the Tromso Art Academy for the use of their facilities to edit the podcast. The music in this episode was brought to you by Jack's Broken Head from the failures, glitches and outtakes from the recording of this episode. We will see you next week. Next week.